We'll continue our verse-by-verse study in, in our study of First Kings on Wednesday night. So First Kings chapter 4, we've already studied the first three chapters. If you need a Bible, um, we have some extra Bibles that are available, and uh, we want you to read with us. We're going to cover chapters 4 and 5, so just raise your hand. If you're towards the front, we got them on the front platform. If you're kind of in the middle towards the back, just raise your hand, and we'll make sure that you get one. So... We're going to cover two chapters tonight if it doesn't get too hot and stuffy in here, okay? So I'll try to talk a little fast or a little faster uh, tonight for our study. So before we get into our study tonight, a couple of quick announcements that I want to make. And that is on Saturday, ladies, there is the ladies' breakfast at 8.30, I believe. That's my wife, Sue, is hosting at our house. So if you can sign up for that so we can uh, plan on uh, how many are going to be there and get it set up for Saturday. So if you can do that after the service, there are maps that are home at the uh, information desk with their address and phone number. So ladies, sign up for that. It's really always a, a, a neat time for you guys to get together and be able to fellowship. And uh, we're going to provide um, the, if I remember, main dish, egg, eggs and meat. Okay, good. And, um, and then drinks, right? Coffee. No, yeah, we'll pr- have, got to have coffee. So... <laughs> Coffee and, and, uh, and tea. Oh, I'm not a tea drinker, so. I'm not invited, okay. <laughs> and uh, if you want to bring a side dish to, to share, that would be wonderful. So ladies, have a great time on Saturday morning. It's supposed to be beautiful this weekend. Uh, also, don't forget Sunday morning, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in Second Corinthians. It's been a wonderful study. We'll be in chapter 10. Now, those of you who've been with us in our study of Second Corinthians, you recall that Paul has been talking about a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. We know that we have 1 Corinthians, but most scholars believe that this letter that he's referring to is a letter that he wrote to them after 1 Corinthians. And remember, he's been talking about that it was a hard letter for him to write, and he wrote with tears and concern, but he did it because he wanted them to do well in the things of the Lord. They needed to be corrected. Well, on Sunday, I'm going to give you something to think about. So what some scholars believe perhaps may have happened to that lost letter. So you've got to come on Sunday if you want to find out uh, some of those comments on that. But we're going to be looking at God's Word. It's a wonderful study. And uh, bring somebody out to Calvary Chapel on Sunday morning, 830 and 1030, our, our our services on Sunday. Also, don't forget if you haven't registered your kids for Vacation Bible School, coming up here in just a couple weeks, uh, June the 11th through the 15th, 9.30 to to 12 o'clock noon, and uh, we're looking forward to having the kids come. There's some extra registration uh, forms out there uh, to take with you and bring them back. And uh, so pre-register your kids. That helps us in planning uh, how many crafts and snacks and things that we're going to need. So uh, we're really looking forward to Right now we're up around 60 kids, and we know that more are going to be registering up to the last minute. So we're really blessed. So if you'll be in prayer for the kids at Vacation Bible School, again, coming up in just a week and a half, uh, we're really looking forward to ministering to the kids uh, for Vacation Bible School. Also, there's some extra flyers out there for any of you um, to take and, and to invite uh, kids in the neighborhood or uh, those at work or family uh, members that perhaps have kids that might want to come and we can minister the truth of God's word and also the gospel to them. So run with endurance is the theme, of course, that we've been talking about for Vacation Bible School. So we're looking forward to that. Also, um, 
I got this, Lee, and Lee's out in the coffee shop. Uh, he likes to go fishing up at Pinewood and at Lake. It's not far from here. So a men's fishing get-together is what he's putting together on Saturday the 16th. That's June 16th. Meet at the church park, parking lot at 8 o'clock. Bring your lunch and drinks. And um, so it's $8 park permit can be purchased at the DLW station below Flatiron Lake. And uh, fishing at Pinewood Lake, bring your children, give the wife a day off. So what if the wife wants to go? But it's, I guess it's a men's fishing get-together. So, um, so guys, that's, uh, if you've got any questions, you can talk to Doc Lee out there in the coffee shop, and he's putting that together. And we'll have it in a bulletin uh, for this Sunday. So lots of things going on here at Calvary Chapel. Even though we're in summer, uh, it's a blessing to be here and uh, to be uh, at our Wednesday night services and continue on Sunday mornings and vacation Bible school. We got a baptism coming up on June 24th at Centennial Pool, 6 to 8 o'clock. So if you want to be baptized, let me know. And uh, we got a number of people that are wanting to be baptized. And of course, at our services, uh, we uh, give an invitation for those that come to know Jesus Christ. And uh, we do that at all our services. And a number of people, it seems like weekly, are coming to, to relationship in Jesus Christ. And um, it's wonderful to see. So um, if you've never been baptized, um, it is just a public declaration that I am now a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, all things have become new. I identify with Christ. And it symbolizes that as I go under the water, that, that the old man, the old woman is dead. Uh, my sins are buried, uh, forgiven. And then as I come out of the water, it symbolizes that I live in that newness of life in Christ. And I live in that resurrected life. And so uh, if you want to get baptized, or if you got any questions concerning your children being baptized, please let me know. And uh, again, coming up here in about three and a half weeks on June 24th, and we'll keep reminding you of that. So you should be at 1 Kings chapter 4, where we're going to begin our study here tonight. And Father, we do ask that you help us just focus on, um, on the text here and uh, help us to just, uh, even though it may be a little stuffy in here and uh, a little warmer than usual, we want to be able to glean from your word and learn and be edified and encouraged. So may our ears be open, and may our hearts be soft and teachable before you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so where we've been in the first three chapters of 1 Kings is after the death of David, Solomon has been firmly established as the king of Israel. And of course, during Solomon's reign, which would uh, be for a period of 40 years, we know that it was the greatest peace and prosperity that Israel ever experienced. And so uh, we know that Solomon ruling during this time that after his father David had defeated all of his enemies all around him. And of course, as we went through 2 Samuel, there was David fighting those wars against those, um, those nations on the east side of the Jordan River, the Ammonites and the Edomites and the others, uh, also doing war against Syria and against the Philistines. And now there is peace in the land. They have defeated their enemies. And so Solomon is ruling during this time of rest and peace. And Solomon is going to rule during this time where the Lord tremendously blesses the nation. So Solomon has been established as the king of Israel. We know that in chapter 3, you recall that Solomon was asked of the Lord, 
what is it that you want, Solomon? What's one thing that, that you want? And uh, I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He said that I'm but a child. I'm young, and this is a great nation. I don't know my coming in and my going out. And Lord, I need your wisdom. And God was pleased with that answer. And of course, Solomon is known for his great knowledge and wisdom. And, and people are coming from all around, as we're going to continue to read, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, which was godly wisdom. And God was pleased with that answer, blessing Solomon with riches and with abundance during this time. But I want to remind us once again at this time in our study that God desires for us to be blessed with his wisdom as well. And we can ask for that wisdom because James tells us that if we lack wisdom, we can come and ask of him in faith and he'll give it to us. And if you need wisdom, it is found in God's word, of course. And remember this, that godly wisdom is just not knowing the word of God, but having it worked out in your life. It is living for Christ and abiding in his word and, and applying those things that you learn as you go through the word of God. The word of God will give you wisdom in every single area of your life, whether you are, uh, when it comes to living for him, when it comes to serving him, when it comes to being the father, the husband, the, the wife, the, the mom that he wants you to be, whether it comes to being that, that employee or employer, whatever area of your life, God desires to give you wisdom and to give you instruction, to give you truth. And you see, keep in mind that Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, he would say to them that hidden in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if you want godly wisdom, then it is found in Christ, it is found through Christ, and it is found as we study the word of God. And remember that you can turn to worldly wisdom, but Paul went on to say in Colossians chapter 2 that if you do, if you turn to the traditions of men and the philosophies of the world, that which is not of Christ, you are going to be cheated. So the Lord desires to bless you with wisdom. He desires for you to experience that abundant life that he has for you. And when I say that abundant life, I mean a life of, of, of peace and a life of, um, you know, that as you experience the goodness of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord, because you are living in his ways. So he desires for you to have that wisdom as well. So Solomon known for his wisdom. And so chapter four, we read, and King Solomon was king over all of Israel, and these were his officials. So in verses one through 19, we see that here is Solomon leading this great nation, and uh, he has these godly men to help him. And it's a great nation right now. I think that we can't fully understand how powerful and how prosperous that Israel is at this time. And we're going to get glimpses of it as we go into chapter 5 and into chapter 6 and, and 7. We're going to see that there was abundance and, and there was great riches and um, there was great prosperity that was taking place during this time. And here Solomon ruling over this great nation. He needs leaders to help him, of course. And uh, he's got great provisions, daily provisions that are going to be given and uh, needed uh, for his administration and those serving him. And we'll see that in a little bit. But I'm not going to read all of these names. You can, you know, do some bedtime reading and you can look at all these names here that are listed here. But I do want to highlight a couple of the names as we look at this. And we read in, first of all, uh, in verse 3, that it tells us about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, who was the recorder. 
And I wanted to point him out because there's another Jehoshaphat that is listed here in this chapter as well as you get into verse 17. So Jehoshaphat was a common name. This is not the Jehoshaphat that is going to be king of Judah that we will see at the end of 1 Kings. But this Jehoshaphat was the recorder. He was also in David's administration, as we see in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And he's kind of like the secretary of state. And then in verse 4, we read that Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. So Benaniah here, we've already been reading about him. He's the one that is over the army. Now, to remind you again that this is a time of peace. And what we're going to see in the next chapter is that Solomon's going to be able to raise up a great workforce because there is peacetime right now. There's no wars going on. So the men are available to be able to put all that effort into building the temple. We're going to see great numbers that were used in the construction of the temple. But here is uh, Benani. He's the head of the armies. Now, he's not a warrior like David was. David and his mighty men that went out and defeated large armies and they defeated giants. And Joab, who was the head of uh, David's army. Uh, here is Benaniah. He's not a warrior in that way, but we have seen him that he is used in, in uh, executing those that Solomon gives the orders for those to be put to death. And so Benaniah, that's mostly his, his ministry and, and his duties here. We saw that he would put Adonijah to death. You remember Adonijah, the, the brother of Solomon, who tried to rebel against Solomon and take the throne away from him. Uh, we know that he would have Joab put to death. So that's mainly his responsibilities during this time. But I want you to notice that Zadok and Abiathar are the priests. And if you recall that if you're with us as we went through 1 Kings chapter 2, you remember that Abiathar, that he was sent into exile by Solomon. Remember that? He had joined in with Adonijah and Joab in this rebellion against Solomon. And, and uh, it was Adonijah that had this feast. And Abiathar the priest was there and Joab was there. And, um, and it was Adonijah, David's son, who was trying to set himself up as king. And uh, it would be Abiathar that would be sent into exile because of that. Solomon did not put him to death, but as he's sent into exile, we learned in chapter 2 of 1 Kings that that would be a fulfillment of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And what I mean by that is you recall that in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that Eli was the high priest there in Shiloh. And he had two sons, and his two sons that were ministering there at the tabernacle were very, very corrupt. And Eli failed to, to deal with his sons, so the prophecy came that said that Eli, your two sons are going to be put to death, which would happen in 1 Samuel chapter 4, as they would die in battle against the Philistines, but the priesthood is going to be cut off from your family. And so that was a fulfillment of that prophecy in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that we saw as Abiathar, who was a descendant of Eli, was sent into exile. So now it is Zadok, who is a descendant of Eleazar. He is now, his family, doing the duties of the priesthood. So commentators and scholars are looking at this and thinking, why is Abiathar mentioned here as the priest when his priesthood has come to an end? He's not going to be used, and his family has been cut off from the priesthood. And the best suggestion that I have read is because um, he had the title of priest, but he would remove, be removed from the service. So I think that 
footnote is there that Abiathar still had that title, but he's off in exile, and Zadok's family is going to be doing the priestly duties. In verse 7, And Solomon had twelve governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. So he had twelve governors. There were twelve governors from the twelve tribes of Israel. For one month they would uh, have... Uh, that responsibility of making sure that the provision of Solomon's daily needs were met in his administration and his servants. And we're going to see what those daily needs are and those daily provisions were. It's absolutely amazing the numbers that we're going to read. But also we're going to see in this chapter as well is that those governors were responsible for also making sure that his horses that he's multiplying, and you can go to Israel today and you can see the remains of stables that are all over the country. Solomon had these stables full of horses. So he multiplied horses and uh, they would have to have, you know, uh, feed. And so they made sure that all that provision was done, all that provision for the horses and, and for Solomon and those who ate at his table. And it was a huge task and a huge responsibility as we're going to see. So you might think that, well, you know, that's pretty good. You work, you know, for one month out of the year and then the other 11 guys take the other months. But they would also be responsible for really gathering taxes. And, and this provision of Solomon was really a taxation that was taking place. You recall that when Samuel was the last judge of Israel, there in 1 Samuel, that as he was uh, judging Israel, uh, it was the people that came in chapter 8, and they demanded for a king. They said, Samuel, we want to be like the other nations, so we want a king. And Samuel was grieved by that, and the Lord came to Samuel and said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And we discussed when we went over that chapter, the reason that the Lord said that was because God wanted to really be their king. That's what the, why they were called Israel. Israel means governed by God. He wanted to be the one that truly ruled over them. And when they came into the promised land, you recall that when they came to Mount Sinai, that the Lord gave them the law. He gave them all the ceremonial and religious laws. That's what you see in the book of Leviticus, uh, how the priesthood was set up and the sacrifices and, and their duties. Uh, he also gave them the civil laws. He established judges. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, that generation would hear the law again. Deuteronomy means the second law. They, they were getting ready to go into the promised land. So when they went in and the Lord gave them that land and drove out the inhabitants, they were established as a nation. They had everything that they needed to run their nation of, you know, in the religious and ceremonial ways and in the civil ways. All that was spelled out in the law. And then God would bless them. God was truly their king. And when the other nations saw that God had blessed them, it was to be a light and a testimony to them that they believed in the true and the living God. So it grieved the Lord that they were asking for a man to be their king. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me because I want to rule over them. And it really is a sad commentary of where the nation was at that time because the Lord wanted them to be a light and a witness and a dependency upon him. But they wanted to be like the other nations. And what my prayer for us here at Calvary Chapel is that for you individually, for your families, for this church corporately, that we would never have the mindset of we want to be like the world or we want to, to incorporate the things of the world, that we are to be a light and a witness to the world that is mixed up and messed up. 
and as living in darkness, that we have a testimony of the goodness and the love and the truth and the light of Jesus Christ that we can give to others. That truly that this church could be called Israel that is governed by God. That our families and our lives individually are governed by Him. And people see that. And they see the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in your life. So here is this that took place. And you recall that, that Samuel, as the Lord said, stand up and anoint Saul. Saul would be the first king of Israel and anoint him uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. But um, we know that Samuel, as he would anoint Saul as the first king, he came back to the people. And he said to them that the king, because you've asked for one, is going to take your sons and your daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your vineyards. He's going to take your cattle. He's going to take your grains. He's going to take your, take your sheep and oxen. He's going to take your men to put in an army. And there's that, that was taking place, especially during this time of Solomon. There was a heavy taxation. So these 12 governors were kind of over the 12 tribes to make sure that they were giving what they were supposed to for the king as he would have the, you know, the cattle and the oxen that we're going to read about for his provision. And then Solomon, after his reign, we're going to see that Rehoboam, his son, is reigning. And the people come to Rehoboam and say, Rehoboam, ease up, cut taxes, do something. But your, your father really asked a lot. And Rehoboam responds in a harsh way by saying, I'm not going to do that. And that's where there was a split in the nation at that time. And we'll get there in a few chapters. So here are those 12 tri uh, names that over those uh, 12 tribes and the 12 governors. As you go through the rest of the chapter there, verse 17, Jehoshaphat, uh, another Jehoshaphat, Shemai in verse 18. You recall that we saw Shemai um, in chapter 1. He's the one that helped Solomon and, and was... Uh, beneficial to Solomon and, and loyal to Solomon during that time that Adonijah had rebelled. And then also we know um, that uh, there are others there that you can take a look at it. And um, it, sometimes it's interesting, just a little side note, that if you have a good Bible dictionary to go through these names and, and look them up and you'll find some additional information that sometimes is of interest. But in verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So when we see that, the river, it is speaking of the river Euphrates, which is over in the modern-day country of Iraq. So all the way from over there in the uh, you know, uh, Mesopotamia Valley, all the way over to Egypt, that there was peace and, um, and Israel had a stronghold. And you also recall that when Abraham, back in the book of Genesis, when the Lord told him, Abraham, look at all the land around here, and this is for you and your descendants, and the Lord gave the borders of Israel uh, to Abraham at that time. And it goes from uh, you know, Egypt, from the, the River Nile, all the way to the Euphrates. As you look at the borders there, and this is the only time that they really began to, to rule over that area. And as we see this time of prosperity and peace, it's really a picture that I believe that we're going to see, and we'll talk about it a little bit more as we continue on, of what uh, is um, going to be like in the millennium reign uh, we talked about in our study of the book of Revelation. When Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom, I believe that the borders of Israel are going to expand to that land that uh, was promised to them, to Abraham, and there's going to be great peace and prosperity as well. So 
because of David having defeated his enemies all around him, we see the blessing and the benefit that has come to the nation and has come to Solomon, all because of, of David warning against his enemies and fighting and having victory. And I want to remind us of the victory that we have because the son of David, the greater than David, Jesus Christ, who defeated the enemy, didn't he? And tonight, we who name the name of Jesus Christ, we have great victory. And if you're here tonight, again, as I mentioned to you earlier, we always take time in every service to present the gospel to someone who might be here or anyone who hasn't really heard it or on the radio, as you're hearing this message on the radio, if you've never heard the gospel message, we want to take time to give that to you. And that is simply that there is an enemy, the enemy sin. The greatest enemy that you and I have ever had, that humanity has ever had, is sin. Because the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and he defeated sin on the cross. He defeated death as he rose from the grave after being put in that tomb for three days. He rose again and the tomb is empty because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he's alive today. He defeated sin and death. And because of the victory that the son of David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who came and died for you and for me for our sins, we have blessing and we have benefit. There's salvation that comes to us. There's peace with God. We're no longer at enemy against God because Jesus Christ is the mediator. He's the one that has, brings us into right relationship with the Father, and we have the promise of the hope of heaven because we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, we are blessed, aren't we? And, and tonight, as we sit into this place, we can rejoice because of what Jesus Christ, the victory that he's brought to us. And you can have victory in your life as you surrender your life to him and realize that he is the savior of the world. No one else can save you. You cannot save yourself. A church can't save you. Uh, trying to be good enough is not going to save you. It's only surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and savior of your life. So here is Solomon that in the nation experiencing this blessing because of what David had done. In verse uh, 22, now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. So here you're talking 200 bush bushels of flour daily. This is the provision. 400 bushels of meal and 10 prime oxen and 20 commercial oxen, 100 sheep. So this is a huge provision. There's abundance of food that is here, abundance of, of, uh, for the uh, kingdom. And again, as we go through this, the numbers are really staggering. We read in verse 24, For he had dominion over all the region of the side of the river of Tisha, even to Gaza. That's over um, Tisha, is a, a little place that was west of the Euphrates River, and over all the kings of the side of the river. And he had peace on every side all around him. And so here is Solomon um, that uh, has this area that there is peace. And Judah and Israel, verse 25, dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree from Dan as far as Beersheba all the days of Solomon. And so Dan is the northern part of the country. Beersheba is the southern part of the country. And whenever you see that term, every man sitting under his vine 
every man sitting under his fig tree, it speaks of, of peace and it speaks of prosperity, it speaks of blessing, doesn't it? And again, I think that we're seeing a glimpse of what it's going to be like in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years, we're going to rule and reign with him. And as Isaiah says, that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And he's going to rule over the nations, and there's going to be no more wars. There's going to be peace. There's going to be prosperity. And it says in the book of Jeremiah, as it speaks about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, as it speaks about in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10, Micah chapter 4, verse 4, it uses that term that every man will sit under his own fig tree. And it's speaking again of prosperity, it's speaking of blessing uh, that the Lord has brought to us. And, and so just kind of a little side note, some of you have asked you know, about the name of the radio program, which is Under the Fig Tree. And um, it's not just a play on words, but there is biblical meaning to it. And that's why we named it that. And I know it is a little bit of a play on words as, you know, under the fig tree with Pastor Jeff Figs. So people kind of would remember it. But it also speaks of the Lord's blessing in our lives as the Old Testament speaks of it in that way. But also in John chapter 1, you might note and remember that it was Philip. Remember he came to Nathaniel? And he said to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And it was Nathaniel that said, of Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And it was Jesus that then went to Nathaniel and said, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And you're going to see greater things. And you're going to see that angels are going to be descending and descending on the Son of Man. And what it is believed is that Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, and students would do that, studying the scriptures. He was studying from the book of Genesis, I believe chapter 28, uh, as remember that it was Jacob, that he was uh, there on his way to Pandanaran, and he had that vision of uh, the angels ascending and descending from heaven. He was reading that portion of scripture. And that's what the students would do. So sitting under the fig tree also speaks of studying the scriptures. And I want to remind us again, and, and for those who are listening on the radio, that you continue to sit under your fig tree. That is, you continue to study the scriptures. And as you do, you're going to have uh, the peace of God and the blessing of God that's going to be in your life. You're going to grow in the wisdom of the Lord and the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And it's just a tremendous thing for us to do to continue growing in God's word. And so um, here is um, this that has taken place during this time. And so peace happening. Verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Uh, again, he multiplied horses. Now, we've made mention of this before. Remember that there were three things, according to the book of Deuteronomy, that the king was not to do. God knew that they were going to ask for a king, even though uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, before they even went into the promised land, he's giving them guidelines. And there's a little section in there, when you ask for a king, God knew that they would ask for a king, even though it would be 400 years later. When you ask for a king, that king is not to multiply wives, that king is not to multiply gold, and that king is not to multiply horses. So we talk about the wisdom of Solomon, but he wasn't wise in every area of his life. Because what did he multiply? Wives, a thousand wives and concubines. He multiplied gold. 
He multiplied silver as well. Matter of fact, we're going to read that silver was as valuable as rocks in Jerusalem. That's how wealthy the nation is at this time and prosperous that it is. He's going to overlay the, um, the temple with gold. And as we go through these chapters of, um, you know, of First and Second Kings, we're going to see that as time goes on, that it's some of the kings of Judah that are going to take some of the gold that they're going to rip it off the doorposts and, and the pillars and things that pay tribute to pagan kings that try to keep them from attacking. So there's all kinds of gold. The whole floor is laid with gold at the temple, and, and we'll read about that um, next time. But here is great prosperity. He multiplied gold, and he also multiplied horses. Now, some ancient manuscripts has 4,000 stalls is what it is. But um, again, all these horses... And it's interesting because David would write in the Psalms that some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And you might recall, remember when Joshua came into the promised land and was doing battle against the the Canaanites? That the Canaanites would come against Joshua and the armies with a great multitude of, of soldiers and outnumbering the children of Israel. And they also had chariots and horses. And Joshua was told to destroy the chariots. You're going to defeat the, the Canaanites because I'm going to give you victory. And don't worry, Joshua. And the Lord did give them victory. And the Lord fought for them. And what I want you to do is I want you to burn those chariots and hamstring the, the horses so they can't be used in battle. Because you see, the Lord was wanting them to learn a very important lesson, and it's simply this, that I don't want you to trust in the chariots and the horses and the things that you have. I want you to trust in me. And that's why David comes back, and he writes, you know, nearly 400 years later, that he says that some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You know, that really is my prayer for our nation. Our nation can trust in, in what we have and the technology and and we are blessed as a nation. But I pray that we wouldn't just trust in, in the abundance of what we have or, or our might or our own strength. But our nation, we need the help of God, don't we? Especially in the times in which we're living in because we're on a spiral, you know, downward trend in, in, in economically and, um, you know, morally and, and in every area. We're becoming weaker and weaker, and it's a concern. And what we need to do is we need to turn to our Lord, don't we? We need to trust in the Lord, come back, and I pray for revival in this country that would truly happen. And I pray for your own families and, and for you, again, individually, for this church, that we wouldn't just trust in, in, in things, but we would trust in the Lord, that we would remember the name of the Lord and remember that our strength comes from him. That's why David... And the nation experienced that, that plague that went through. When David numbered the people, you recall that he numbered them because David was saying, these soldiers belong to me, and I'm going to trust in the numbers that we have rather than the Lord. And so that was a hard lesson that the nation learned, and David as well. And so may we trust in the Lord and remember him and trust in his provision. So here is um, these things that are taking place. Also, one other thing, and then we're going to move on. Solomon thought, I can ignore that, that principle, that truth and that command that's given in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to go ahead and multiply wives. I'm going to go ahead and multiply horses. I'm going to go ahead and multiply gold. And it would end up hurting Solomon, especially when it came to multiplying wives, because he ends up burning incense to their pagan gods that they would bring to Solomon and introduce to Solomon, because he married many foreign wives. 
And again, what my prayer is that we would never, never come to the point where we read God's commands and see his principles and his truth and we say, well, that isn't really for me. But remember this, that the commandments of God, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John chapter 5. Always keep this in mind. Every commandment that the Lord gives to you and to me is an expression of his love. Do you realize that? That he loves you so much that he wants what's best for you. And that's why he says, stay away from these things. Don't multiply these things. Flee from these things. That's why he says, do these other things. And, and he wants us to experience the goodness and the blessing that he has for you and for me and experience you know, a wonderful life in, in, in Christ as we live for him. But please don't ever say, okay, I'm supposed to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. Or, you know, any of the commandments and truths that are given to us in Scripture. Or when we're told to, to flee from sin, to, to pursue righteousness and holiness in our lives, to, to flee useful lusts and, and, and all these things that we go over, may we apply it in our lives and not say, I can ignore that. Because it will end up coming back and hurting us spiritually, and it did with Solomon. So we continue on that um, verse 27. And these governors, each man in his mouth, provided food for King Solomon. And all who came to King Solomon's table, there was no lack in their supply. So great abundance of food uh, that was in the kingdom at this time. And they also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steed, each man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. And thus Solomon, its wisdom, ex um, excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he is wiser than all the men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Chaco, and Darda, the sons of Maol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So here he is, Solomon's fame spreads far and wide, more than anyone uh, Ethan the Ezraite, he, I know that you remember this, that he wrote Psalm 89. And also, we know that Haman wrote Psalm 88, that is. So these guys were wise, and you can read those Psalms, Psalm 88 and 89, they're beautiful Psalms. But Solomon's wisdom, it says, exceed all those of the east, and these, these men that were known, and he spoke in verse 32, 3,000 proverbs, and the songs were 1,005. So many proverbs, of course, he's the one that wrote uh, most of proverbs. Uh, he composed songs. Of course, David was the sweet psalmist of Israel, but Solomon also wrote so, uh, some songs as well. He was knowledgeable. We continue reading. In verse 33, he also spoke of trees, so he was a botanist from the cedar tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. Whenever you look at pictures of the western wall, for example, that the, the, it looks like weeds coming out, that's hyssop. That's what it, hips, hyssop is, just for you know, those of you who don't know. So it springs out of the walls. There's a lot of water actually under the Temple Mount. And at times, if you go there, you'll see that the water is leaking out of those Herodian stones. So hyssop comes out, and, and it speaks of the hyssop here out of the wall. And he spoke of the animals, of birds, and the creepy things, and the fish. So, you know, he's a fishery biologist. He, he studied birds. He had great knowledge. And all uh, the men of all the nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So people came from all around to hear his wisdom, um, to, to listen to his wisdom, 
And what I want to encourage you in tonight is simply this. That as you go to God for wisdom and as you grow in the knowledge of the truth of God's word and as God's wisdom is being worked out in your life, do you realize this, that people will come to you? Especially in their time of confusion, in their time of difficulties. Because I think that a lot of people realize that the world is getting more nuttier, is getting more crazy, is getting more confusing, that it's all mixed up and messed up. And people really are out there, that there are many of them that are looking for truth. And as they see that the wisdom of God is being worked out in your life, and that you have godly wisdom, you be ready to be able to share with them. And you never know when they're going to come and they're going to speak with you and ask you, and begin to converse with you because they know that there's something different about you and there's something real and something true about you because they're seeing it be worked out in your life and the words that you speak. One of the things that we talked to the young adults about last week was, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but you be an example in word and in conduct and in faith, and that is your attitude in purity and in love. You be an example to others, and that's a command for every single one of us. And what my prayer is is that as you leave this place, in your workplace and in your family and in your neighborhoods, that you would be an example in those things, in the words that you speak, in your conduct, your behavior, in your attitude, that you just have uh, an attitude that is pleasing to the Lord and uplifting to others, that you'd be an example in purity and, and in faith, that you're a man or woman of faith. And as you are, people are going to come and seek you out. Do you know that? They're going to come to you, and you may go day after day after day where they don't come to you, and you're thinking, Lord, am I making a difference? You are, because it's a witness, not just with the words that you speak, but the way that you live your life, and they have to go together. They go together. Remember the story of Daniel. Daniel, he was used mightily. He would stand as the right-hand man of King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar went insane, as you read in uh, chapter 4, for seven years, and Daniel protected him. And after the death of Nebuchadnezzar, we see that in chapter 5, that the story is told to us of his grandson, Belshazzar, that has a party. Remember that? And Belshazzar has this party with a thousand lords uh, that have taken the vessels that we're going to read about here in a little bit uh, next time that were used in Solomon's temple uh, that were dedicated for the Lord, the cups and stuff. And they had taken those vessels out of the temple of Solomon before it was destroyed, taken back to Babylon, put into a Babylonian pagan temple. And Belshazzar, after nearly 70 years of them you know, in captivity, he brings out these cups and he's toasting to the gods of the Babylonians of gold and silver and stone and wood. And all of a sudden, during this toast, this handwriting came and wrote on the wall. Remember that story? And, and Belshazzar sobered up real quickly, says his knees knocked together. And, and he cries out, he, and, and he doesn't know what the handwriting is saying. And he calls for his astrologers, and he calls for the musicians. He calls for the soothsayers and his wise men, and come and interpret the handwriting. They said, we can't do that. And all of a sudden, the queen mother comes out. And she says that, Belshazzar, there was a man, a Hebrew. His name is Daniel, and he served your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. 
and he's knowledgeable in all things and in riddles and, and he's able to interpret dreams, he'll come out and he'll interpret the handwriting on the wall. And so Daniel comes out at that time, he's an elderly man. And do you realize from the time of the death of Nebuchadnezzar, from the time that we hear from Daniel next time, the Belshazzar is a period of about 20 years. 20 years. We don't know exactly what Daniel was doing in those 20 years. We know that he was praying because in chapter 6, he got caught praying to the God of Israel as he customarily did every day. And I believe that he continued to minister. And here comes Daniel. I just picture him, this wise, very full of the wisdom and knowledge of God, this very incredible man who had lived a life for the Lord. I imagine he comes out Hadn't been heard of for about 20 years. And he says, I'm going to interpret the handwriting on the wall for you. But it's God that's going to do it. You may be 20 days with people ignoring you. It may be 20 weeks. You might be in a workplace for 20 years. And you're thinking, Lord, have I made a difference? But you never know when the Lord's going to call you to come out and to interpret the handwriting on the wall that somebody is experiencing in their life. And they realize that the soothsayers and the magicians and the astrologers and everybody else isn't able to give them answers. But I know there's one individual at work that there's something different about them. And they're living a blessed life. And, and they're living a good life. In a, not that they're just full of you know, fun and games and all this, but there's something real about them and different and true about them. That the countenance of Jesus Christ is seen on your face and the joy of the Lord that is in your heart. And they will come to you and they will ask you, what does this mean and what's going on? And what do you think? And you're going to be able to minister to them. So don't think that you're not being one that's making a difference in the place that you are where God has put you. You continue to live for him. You continue to just walk with him. And you never know when you're going to be called out to interpret the handwriting on the wall in somebody's life, to give them truth and to lead them to Jesus Christ, to tell them the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord and the truth of God's word. You be ready, okay? And that's what my prayer is. I, I tell you, it'll happen. Live for the Lord. Don't be afraid to stand for the Lord. And people might make fun of you for a while. They might come down on you. They might make it difficult for you. But I really believe that we're headed for some very confusing times and we're in perilous times. And the Lord needs those who are going to be ready to be able to interpret the handwriting on the wall for those who are going to be confused, and those who are going to be wondering. And you're going to be able to be used of the Lord. So you keep coming and learning the scriptures. You have your own devotions. You be ready every single day. Lord, whatever opportunity I have to share with somebody, to be able to share the good news or truth with somebody, I want to be able to be ready, and I want to be equipped. And Lord, I want to be sensitive to your leading. Are, are you with me on that? Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to go into chapter 5, but because it's hot and I know it's stuffy in here, and uh, I took a whole lot longer in chapter 4 than I wanted to. We'll pick up chapter 5 next time, but let's go ahead and close here. Father, um, 
we're going to cut it a little short tonight, Lord, because it is warm and a little stuffy in here. And I thank you for the patience that everyone's had in, in our Bible study. And, and Lord, we thank you for this chapter that gets, you know, ignored a lot of times um, and, and brushed over. But there's so much to glean from. Father, I do pray, just as we talked about how Solomon and the nation was able to experience blessing and prosperity and goodness because of what David had done in defeating the enemy. And Lord, I pray that everyone here tonight, or if there's anyone sitting out in the coffee shop, or if you're listening on the radio, that if you've never surrendered life to Jesus Christ, that just as you've heard the gospel message that Jesus Christ is your salvation. That there's no other name under heaven in which a man or woman must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that all of us, that we would be ones in this room, that we've received that, and if you haven't, this is an opportunity for you to come to salvation. It's a wonderful opportunity. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. So give your heart to Jesus Christ. Surrender to him. He loves you so much. He wants to forgive you because we've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. We're all guilty. None of us can stand in our own righteousness before the Lord. It is only clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we've been forgiven. And as you come, the scripture says to repent. That is simply turn direction and turn to Jesus. He loves you so much. When he went to that cross, he was thinking about you, and he did it because of his love for you. Because he knew that there would be no other hope for you to receive forgiveness and the hope of heaven and come in right relationship with the Father. Surrender your heart to him. And you can pray in your heart right where you're sitting or if you're listening that Jesus, come into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe that you're the Son of God who died on Calvary's cross. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I believe that you rose again from the grave. And so now I turn to you. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you are the Savior of the world and now my Savior personally. So thank you for hearing my prayer and help me to live for you all the days of my life. If you are here tonight and, and you prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're out in a coffee shop, I want you to raise your hand. we got an elder out there. We want to just minister. Anybody at this service at this time tonight? Anybody at all? We want to give you opportunity just to, to acknowledge that so we can pray for you and bless you and, and encourage you. Anybody at all here tonight coming to Christ for your first time? Okay. Lord, as we do continue tonight, that, Lord, we thank you. And, Lord, we thank you for your wisdom that you give to us as we read your word. Help us to apply it in our lives. Lord, help us to be a light to others. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless everyone here, that we would stand for you and be an example to others of the reality of Jesus Christ that we know that the time's going to come when people are going to come and seek your wisdom and your truth, and may we be ready for that. 
Lord, I pray that um, you'd bless the rest of our week. That, Lord, that there are those who come in with needs, that you would meet those needs. And, Lord, that you show yourself strong on our behalf. So take us home safely tonight. Bless our fellowship. And, um, Lord, uh, may we just leave here rejoicing in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So would you please stand? We're not going to close in song. And um, we're going to go ahead and be dismissed. And if you do need prayer for anything, um, please come up and receive prayer. I want to be able to be available to pray with you and for you. So as you stand, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you uh, because it is a little warm in here. And uh, pray we'll get everything fixed for Sunday morning. All right? God bless you.